0: John 1:35 through 51. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? And he said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him, and it was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of God, who will be called... Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite, in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree, before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man.
1: Good morning. Thank you, Ashley, for the reading of the text. Today we're in the second week of our series called The Chosen chosen, as you know, is also a TV series. If you saw the trailer there before in our bumper video, you know that this has been going on for I think a a couple years now. Hopefully by now you've seen it. This series is what I think the most um, honest and real depiction of the life of Christ from the Gospels that we have. I think more so than any Uh, any movie, any story that's been done on a big screen, uh, this is the best. And if you're not going to support it, if we as Christians won't support it, then who will? I want to tell you something, we need to support this. This is a crowd-funded series, which means that normal people like you and me can go to the website, thechosen.com, and donate, and you can actually see the episode they're working on uh, in the in the series, I think they're in seri- season three now, maybe episode eight. And if you want to donate ten dollars or five dollars or one dollar or a hundred dollars, I'm sure uh, they would take it. And it's it's a way for for you and me, normal people, to get involved in the in the propagation, if you will, the publication of the story of Jesus. It's an incredible, incredible story. Amen. It's, of course, based on the Gospels, but they do such a good job with the backstories of some of these characters that makes you really think. It makes you go, hmm, you know, that probably is the way it it was. Now, I'm sure they've taken some liberties because we don't know all of the story. We only know what the Gospels tell us. There's a lot of backstory, but I think they've done a great job. And the goal of this series for us, which is based on the Gospels and also comes with this Chosen TV series. And by the way, you can watch this on smart devices. Uh, you know, Amazon Prime, you can find it, or just go to the website, thechosen.com, and you can watch it there on your phone. But the goal of our series, our sermon series, this four-week series, is to, to help you fall in love with Jesus. I love that last song we sang. Jesus, I love you. And that's that's what we're here to do. We're here to, to meet and fall in love with and to spend our lives worshiping, loving, adoring our creator embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you've already fallen in love with him, fall in love with him all over again. You know, sometimes the relationship needs a spark. Sometimes the marriage vows need to be renewed. Uh, Jesus said you've left your first love, and so maybe we need to fall in love with Jesus all over again. And just by studying the Gospels and with modern technological aid like this series, it can help us do just that. I was reading one of the reviews, some of the reviews for this series online. You can read this too. This is one of the first ones. One lady wrote about the TV series. She said, beautiful, all of it, beautiful. The casting, script, costumes, props locations, cinematography. This show made me fall in love with Jesus again and feel in my spirit his abundant love. I enjoy the depth it provides to all the characters. I very much enjoy the touching moments that make you laugh or cry. Dallas Jenkins and team, you're doing a wonderful job. And of course, Dallas Jenkins is an actor. He's also the producer of this show and uh, he's, uh, he's doing a great job. I hope you'll watch it. You can catch it at any of our campuses, Tomorrow night here at 6:30, we have we or uh, six o'clock here, right? Six uh, 6:30 here, 6:30 here, six o'clock at our Taze Valley campus tonight. Marmet is a week ahead of everybody, and we're doing their uh, Wednesdays at six. And Beckley is renting out the local Marquee Cinemas there in Beckley, and they're showing it on Sunday evening. So plenty of opportunity, and if you can't make one of those showings, just get it up on your phone or your smart TV, and you can watch it. It is an incredible depiction of the life of Christ, and I think it really will open your eyes and make you proud to be standing with the chosen one. Now, today's message is uh, the second in this series, and it's called, He Invites Me. He invites Everybody understands, I think, the power of an invitation. Maybe you've been invited out on a date, or maybe you've been invited to a dance, or invited to a party, or a banquet, or invited to some big event. When someone says, hey, I have a ticket, this incredible event, and I can hear a guy saying that to a girl, this date is gonna be an incredible event, and I want you to come, I want you to be the one I invite, the one that says yes to me. It's all paid for. Everything is covered. You don't have to do anything but show up. If you'll do that, you can be my guest to this event. That's an incredible feeling when someone invites us to uh, something like that. And, and that's what is happening here in the Gospels. You know, the Bible is a book of invitations. The Bible, someone counted no less than 55 specific invitations in the Bible. Of course, the greatest invitation is the invitation of God to the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's the greatest event that will ever take place. It is the great gathering of God and his people at the end of time. The Bible says in Revelation 19, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And let me just tell you right now, in case you're wondering, in case you're you're thinking maybe you've been left out, you are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. You have an invitation. There is a seat at the table for you now, I don't know how it's going to look. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know the logistics of it, but I know I want to be there. Don't you? It's a wedding supper of the Lamb. It's the great wedding supper, and the alternative to this event is an event you don't want to be at. You with me? Can I get a name in on that? You guys tracking with me this morning? And the invitations in the Bible are so plentiful. To ordinary people, to you and me, in Isaiah chapter 1, there's an invitation to forgiveness where God says, come, let us reason together, or in the NIV, let us settle the matter. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. There's an invitation to be satisfied in God. Isaiah 55: Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. In other words, it doesn't matter who you are, what you have, and your bank account doesn't matter where you come from, what you've done, doesn't matter your past. God says, "Come and let's let's settle your sins. Let's settle your account." And I'm going to pay for it, and I want you to be satisfied in me. There's also many invitations to a personal relationship with this God who loves you enough to pay your debt. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning is the personal invitation, the power of a personal invitation. And so I want you to notice, first of all, from our text, we're bouncing off of this John chapter 1 text, look at how Jesus invites me. And, of course, he invites you. Say that aloud with me. Jesus invites me. Ready? Jesus invites me. He does. John's gospel is all about explaining who Jesus is. I don't know if you know that about John's gospel, but it starts with that powerful statement about Jesus being the all eternal existent one. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. John wants people to know who Jesus was and who he is. Real quickly, in John chapter 1, he shifts to John the baptizer. And by the way, if you, if you watch this week's episodes, episodes 3 and 4, in one of those episodes, you'll meet John the baptizer in, uh, in the TV series, the episode. It's pretty cool. Uh, to uh, you know, It's not a long, uh, extended thing in the movie, but it's a pretty cool time when Nicodemus meets John the baptizer. And uh, John is giving his testimony about who Jesus is. So John, the apostle who writes the gospel, he wants people to know who Jesus is. That's what his gospel is all about. So he says, here's what I want to tell you about him. Now I want to let John the baptizer tell you about him. And you know what John the baptizer said? He said, he is the one. He's the Messiah. He's the chosen one. One day John was standing with a couple of his disciples and Jesus walks by and John says, there he is. That's the one. He must increase and I must decrease. He is the one that I told you about. That you know I can baptize you for forgiveness of sins but he can give you forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal straps. He's the one. He is the chosen one. That's in John 134. And so when those two disciples heard John say that about Jesus. They said, well, if he's the one and he's got to increase and you got to decrease, then we need to be following him. And so they went over to follow him. And one of those disciples was a man by the name of Andrew. Andrew went and he and his buddy, and some people, some scholars think the other disciple that's not named here is John, the writer of the gospel, John oftentimes refers to himself, but not by name in his gospel. He calls himself the one whom Jesus loved, or perhaps this is John and Andrew. We don't know. But they're out, and they were John the baptizer, and they see Jesus, the Lamb of God, and so they go over to him, and they ask him a question. They say, hey, where, where are you staying? Where are you staying? Now, Jesus could have said, none of your business. You don't need to know where I'm living, where I'm hanging my hat, where I'm laying my head. But Jesus wasn't there to turn people away. He was there to invite people in, wasn't he? And you know what he said to them? I love this invitation. It's a powerful invitation. Jesus said, oh, you want to know where I'm staying? Come and see. Come and see. Isn't that a great invitation to have nothing to hide? I don't have to go clean the house. You know, it is what it is. Just come and see for yourself. And so they did. And the Bible says they hung out with Jesus for the rest of that day the rest of that day. All it took was an invitation, come and see. I remember distinctly back in 1996, I got a phone call from a man named Glenn Templeton. Glenn Templeton, some of you may know that name, some of you may remember that name, and some of you may have lived with that name. And uh, Glenn had gotten off his tractor, and he came down and he called me, and he He said somebody had given him my name. Glenn was an elder at a church called Gateway in a place called St. Albans. Now, mind you, I was from southern West Virginia. I live closer to Virginia than most of West Virginia. And the only St. Albans I knew was a psychiatric and substance abuse hospital in Radford, Virginia. Anybody aware of it? My wife and I had had family members who had spent some time there. And so when Glenn said, I want, we have a church in St. Albans, I wasn't really that interested in coming and learning about a church in St. Albans. Although 25 years later, I realized there's not a whole lot of difference now. I think maybe there's a lot of similarities. Crazy, drugs, all that stuff. And so I asked Glenn, I said, well, tell me about your church. You know, I was just getting ready to settle in here. We had just built a road to where we were going to build a house. I was just getting ready to settle into the two little churches that I was serving and really just make a go at it. Jennifer was working. I was babysitting. I was in seminary. I was in the National Guard. It was a busy life, but we just accepted it. I said, well, tell me about your church because I've never heard of it and what's going on. And you know what Glenn essentially said to me? He said, hey, come and see, come and see. And I still remember the first day I drove here. I came here from a conference I had gone to up in uh, Jackson's Mill, and I got out of the vehicle there, and the first guy I met was a guy by the name of Keith Fisher. Keith had a prosthetic leg, and I can still see it today like I saw it then. He swung that prosthetic leg out and opened the door, and I came in. Y'all remember Keith? What an incredible invitation. You know, I learned then that big doors sometimes swing on small hinges. Just a simple, insignificant, come and see changed my life. Changed my life. 25 years later, I'm still thankful that Glenn decided to get off his tractor and come down and make a phone call and give an invitation to come and see. Can you remember when you first met Jesus. You remember that first invitation where somebody invited you to know him or maybe it was through your own reading of the Bible or that first moment when you realized who he was and how this person had come, that God had become a person and gave his life for you. He wanted to have a relationship with you. He wanted to forgive your sins and wipe them out and give you a brand new start. Can you remember that moment? And you wonder to yourself today, how could anyone say no to this man. You know, I'm afraid today in the American church, even in this very church, I'm afraid what we have here is a lot of fans and uh, not a lot of followers. You know, people who like what Jesus is doing from a distance, and they'll say, you know, hey, Jesus, that's good. I love that church. I'm glad they're doing good things. But When it comes to me getting personally involved or, you know, I'll come to church on Sunday, but don't ask me to get into a small group. I'm busy. Or I'll come to church on Sunday, but don't ask me to really serve in the ministry or get involved in any way. I'll come to church, but don't ask me to share my faith or my testimony out at my job or wherever I'm at during the week. And so what we have there is a lot of people who are fans and not followers, Jesus invites us, to, he invites us to follow. He invites us to follow. The Bible says that Jesus, he put out a lot of invitations in his time on the earth, and some people said no. It's incredible to me, if they had known now, what, if they had known then what we know now, they would have never said no to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 8, the Bible says Jesus is walking along, and some people come to him, and Jesus has his followers, his disciples and some guys come up and say, hey, we'll follow you, but uh, I need to go take care of some things at home first. Jesus said, well, you know, if that's, if that's your priority, then go take care of things at home. And one, one guy said, hey, I need to bury my father. You know, that seems like an important thing to do, and taking care of things at home are an important thing to do. But Jesus said, if that's your priority, then you go take care of that, but you can't follow me and have that as a priority. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. you got to take care of things at home. But you can follow him and take care of things at home, and not either or. And so in Matthew chapter 4, we read the first disciples. Now, I think chronologically, chronologically, Matthew 4 happened after what we just read in John chapter 1. I believe it happened after. I I think Jesus met Andrew and... And then, uh, and Peter, and I think they went back to business until Jesus met them doing their business on the seashore. So in Matthew chapter 4, we read as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, what does Jesus' invitation mean? What does it mean to be invited by Jesus? Well, we've kind of hit around the first thing. But the first thing it means is to follow him. It means to follow him. Now, I shouldn't have to describe this, but in an age of technology and social media and a, a fan-based Christianity, I think I need to explain what it means to follow Jesus. I'll, I'll tell you first what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean to click a button, a like button on your phone, and then sit back and watch for our future tweets and posts and pictures from Jesus. You know, that's what we think it means to follow someone. Oh, I follow him, I follow her. And what that means is I'm just watching. I'm just watching and occasionally I'll comment. And occasionally I may do something that they ask me to do. That's not what it means to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus means to study his life, to listen to his teachings, to obey his commands, to love what he loves and to hate what he hates. It means to to pick up your cross and Deny yourself and follow him. And again, I I think we have a lot of fans. I think a lot of people, even in the church this morning, who really like what Jesus did and even what the church is doing. But I wonder how many of us are really followers that we're ready to take the next step, that we're we're doing a little bit of personal sacrifice and maybe a lot of personal sacrifice and commitment to do what Jesus has called us to do. So, his invitation is to follow him. And secondly, it's, a, it's an invitation to a new purpose in life. Man, we, we grow up putting ourselves first. We grow up thinking that everybody else is going to pay our way. Yeah, you know, joking with Philip is, uh, you know, well, the worst thing we could do is have a teenager pay his own way to a retreat, huh? But we do want to make it available to anybody. Well, we, we, we live in a culture where. We want somebody else to do it for us, somebody else, because I am about me. I have my own plans. I have my own purpose. Now, I hope contributions to the youth event don't go down from here, because there are some kids who need that. And you can sponsor my kid if you want to. But I'm telling you, you need a new purpose in life. And that new purpose is bigger than you. It's bigger than me, and it's bigger than all of us combined. It's a God purpose. And when he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, these fisher men knew exactly what he was talking about. It was no longer uh, boats and nets and water so much as it was hearts and souls and minds. And they were, they were about to be changed for life, for eternity. It's not about us. It's not about pleasing us. It's not about serving ourselves. It is about others. It is about God's purpose in his heart for our community. Maybe it's time for you to get a new purpose in life. Maybe all the things you're upset about have to do with you. Maybe the last time you got angry, it was because your feelings were hurt or your way was obstructed. And maybe we are start thinking about the people out there who don't know Jesus, the people out there who need a relationship with him well so jesus invites me and then look what happens next I, I invite someone else i invite someone else bible tells us there in that story that andrew and the other uh, disciple probably john or maybe john they went and hung out with jesus they spent the rest of the day with him and they were convinced they weren't uh they weren't thinking maybe they were convinced and because so peter turned around and he said i got to go find my brother you know, it's often the people in our family, in our life, that we need to reach out to first. The people we live with, people we're married to. Well, the person we're married to. The people who show up on our uh, income tax statement as dependents. Uh, the, the people who eat around Thanksgiving meal with us. Those are the people we need to care about and think about first. So Andrew goes to Peter and he says, Peter, we found the Messiah. I love the way Ashley read that. She put some emphasis. You know, sometimes it's hard to read excitement and tone in print in a text or even in the Bible. I mean, when you put an exclamation point on this statement, I think it deserves about three exclamation points and an emoji or two. We found him. Not we think we found him, we found him. He was convinced about him. And I just wonder if when you talk to your friends and your family, if you're really convinced that Jesus is who he said he was and that he can do what he said he can do and that he has done what he did at Calvary. I just wonder if there's any convincing in our hearts and our souls and our testimony about what Jesus has done and can do in our life. And so even after... Andrew shared this excited exclamation, this proclamation to Peter. And you you can see this maybe in this week's episodes, episodes three and four. I think it's episode four in the movie showings where Peter's still not really convinced. He's like, oh, really? You know, here here we are uh, hundreds, thousands of years later, and you think we found the Messiah. And so Andrew convinced him, let's just go meet him. Just come and see Come and see. And when Jesus met Peter, I think Jesus looked straight into Peter's eyes and straight into his soul. And I think he knew Peter. He did know Peter. And he knew what kind of man Peter was. He knew what kind of of behavior Peter had displayed. He knew what kind of potential Peter had, and he wanted to channel all that and to harness all that and to focus all of that in the gospel and in his mission. And he said, Peter, I'm going to change your your name. He was known as Simon, son of John. But after this, he was known as Cephas, which is Aramaic, or Peter. Same word. The word means, anybody know? Rock. It's what we read. Peter, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to change your character. I'm going to change your mission. I'm going to change your life, and that's what that's what Jesus did. You know, a couple years later, Jesus was talking to his disciples uh, at the headwaters of the of the Jordan River, way up in the north part of Israel, at Caesarea Philippi. This is recorded in Matthew 16, and Jesus said, "Who do people say that I am?" and Some of them said, oh, some say you're Elijah or one of the prophets. Peter stood up and said, I know who you are. I saw the way you looked at me that first day. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus used a little play on words. That's what he'd been waiting for. That's what he'd prepared him for. That's what he changed his name for. That's what he changed his purpose and his mission for, his life for, for that moment when Peter would stand up and lead his peers in the statement, and not just the statement, but his life. And Jesus said, Peter, you're a rock. And upon the bedrock of what you just said, of who I am, I'm going to build my church. And maybe a year later, Peter is leading the charge on the day of Pentecost, and he preaches. And you know what he does? He gives an invitation. And 3,000 people respond on, in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people accept the invitation to come and meet Jesus. 3,000 people uh, confessed and repented, were baptized that very day. 3,000 people because Andrew said to Peter, come and see. And Peter went and saw, and Peter met Jesus. Andrew and Peter, and you know the Bible says about Peter in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, is that that church there after he preached the day of Pentecost and all those people came, Peter became a foundational member of leader of that church. In fact, Galatians 2.9 says that he was a pillar in the church, Peter, James, and John. Now, Bill Guy is preaching in Marmette today, and I know he's going to struggle with this one. If you know Bill, a pillar is something he puts his head on at night. So you can tease him about that the next time you see him. Not a pillar, not a pillow, Peter was the original Mr. Pillar. But there's more, before he left town, Jesus invited another man to follow him, a man named Philip. Philip's a big name in the early church. Philip's one of the 12 apostles, just like Peter, James, and John. When Philip met Jesus, he immediately became convinced and excited, and he turned around and he said, I got a friend. I need to get my friend in on this. And he went to a man named Nathaniel. Now, most scholars believe that Nathaniel is the disciple, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, called Bartholomew. In John's gospel, the name after Philip in the list of apostles is, Bar- is Nathaniel. But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the name after Philip is Bartholomew. So, most likely, his name was Nathaniel Bartholomew. Bartholomew had something to do with his surname his father's name, and so this, this guy became an apostle, and when he said, Jesus, Nazareth? What good thing can come out of St. Albans? I mean, are you kidding me? Did I say St. Albans? I meant Nazareth. What good can come out of that? And you know what? Do you know what Philip said? He said, come and see. Come and see. Small hinges, big doors. According to history christian legend nathan bartholomew went and converted the king of armenia his name was polymius to christianity now he was flayed alive and beheaded for it but look at look at what happened there jesus invited philip philip turned around and invited someone else nathaniel bartholomew Nathaniel Bartholomew, he invited the, the king of Armenia. All it takes is an Im- invitation. I remember when I was invited by my grandfather. My grandfather was a fill-in preacher at a little bitty church in Mercer County, not far from where I grew up, in my little church. And while I was finishing up my, uh, my, my college time, he invited me to come preach for him one evening. Uh, and one Sunday evening and I said, okay, I'll do that. Uh, and, uh, my grandfather, uh, had his arm cut off when he was a younger man. And so he was a one-armed man. I never really knew it or paid attention to it because that's just who he was. But I, I still remember distinctly when, uh, we were driving, you know, he was, uh, he was, did everything nothing he was not prevented from doing anything, I guess, but maybe scratching his right shoulder. Uh, think about that and uh, and so I remember we were passing in a car one time and, and before this Sunday evening and he put his hand out the window because he you know he had to he had to stop the car, roll down the window with his right arm and put his hand out and that's he didn't normally do that but he stopped me because he saw me coming instead of just waving or what he usually did was the head nod he stopped the car he, I saw him do this roll down the window and he put his hand out he stopped me and he said, "Hey, you're coming. you coming Sunday night to preach, right?" I said, "Yeah, I'll be there." He said, "All right, uh, be sure and come because I want to meet. You, I want you to meet someone." I'm like, "Oh, yeah." I was a young single guy. I thought, "Wow, my grandfather was kind of getting involved in my, uh, you know, my personal affairs, my romantic life. Good for him, huh? The more help, the better." And so I remember. Uh, that Sunday evening came, and I went to pick my grandmother up because my grandfather had already gone. I went to pick her up, and a train came across the tracks and stopped. You know, I lived in one of those communities. No way around it unless you crawled through or over or something. We didn't do that. Couldn't do that with my grandmother. And so finally the train moved, and we get on up the road, and we get to the church, which, by the way, today is the church where Philip's dad preaches, Goodwin's Chapel Church. And I remember walking in the door And I looked up through the church, and there on the left side, my left side, was a piano. And sitting at the piano was this beautiful young lady. She had a black and white dress on, and she was sitting there at the piano. And I knew this lady. I just didn't know it was going to be her. But I knew her. She wasn't a lady. She was a young, young, young lady. Because I had went out on a date with her sister a year or two before. Yeah, you know, it was a small town. We weren't related, but she and her sister were. And it occurred to me right then and there, hit me right in the middle of the chest. God said, it's not her sister. It's her. And I don't know what happened. The rest of that service, except the piano playing was beautiful. But after service, guess what I did? I invited her out. We went to a local hotel that had a restaurant. (laughs) We didn't spend the night. We had some dessert or something. And I just want to tell you, big doors swing on small hinges. My life's been changed ever since. Maybe you remember that. All it takes is an invitation. Do you know uh, this American Church Growth Institute did a survey of people who go to church. And they asked them, 10,000 people, they said, what got you into church? Why did you start going to church? Some of them said, well, there was a special need in my life or I had a crisis in my life. But you know what? 80% of them, 80% of them said, because somebody invited me. Somebody invited me. And maybe that's your experience too. If it is, I want you to share that in your small groups this week. Somebody invited me to church. Maybe it was because you had a crisis or you had an issue or you had a problem, but somebody thought enough of you to say, hey, you need some help, or I want to stand with you, or maybe you need some answers. Just come and see. And so uh, somebody said, we know about 200 people in our circle, 200 people. That's a good start of that 200 people that you know by face and by name. Perhaps many of them already know Jesus, but I bet there's some who don't know Jesus, And it's our responsibility not to give them just information. If it was just about information, we could hang flyers up. But an invitation, a personal invitation is, I care enough about you. I'd like for you to come with me. Unfortunately, when it comes to personal invitations and our faith, we're like the little boy who had a little dog. And somebody said, what kind of dog is that? And he said, that's a police dog. And they said, oh, it doesn't look like a police dog. And the little boy said, well, he's in the secret service. And let me tell you something. You're not supposed to be in the secret service. You're supposed to be about your faith. You're supposed to be sharing your story. Look, we've been doing a lot of evaluations over the last uh, year and a half, two years, and this pandemic has opened our eyes to a lot of things. It has shown us things we didn't like about ourselves. It's shown us things that we're doing well and some things that we need to do better. One thing it has shown us is this and, and this is why I say, and we'll stick by this statement, that this virus is a tool of the devil. Because you know what it's done to the church? You know what it's done to this church? In every church that I'm aware of, it has, it has put us on alert and said, oh, how are we doing? Let's do online better. Let's get this better. Let's do that better. And those aren't bad questions, but when it forces you to look inward and focus on yourself and just on what you're doing, it causes you to forget about the people who are still dying and going to hell and overdosing on drugs and all those problems out there. And it, it forces us, you know, it's forced us to to circle the wagons and and get into kind of panic mode and say, oh, so-and-so's not coming back or so-and-so's leaving or, or this is happening or that's happening. And and it has created anxiety and panic for the church across America. I tell you what, folks, it's time for us to stop looking inward and start looking outward because that's our mission. That's our purpose. And so in 20, in 2022... We're going, to, we're going to introduce a theme that we're going to be talking about on and off all year called Pray for One. Pray for One. And we're going to in, invite you to get one person on your radar, one person on your evangelistic radar, somebody that needs a relationship with Jesus, somebody that's hurting, somebody that's lost, somebody that needs some friends, somebody that needs the Lord. And we're going we're to ask you to start praying for that person. And we're going to talk about how to invite them to church. We're going to talk about how to share the gospel with them. We're going to talk about how to lead them to Christ. We're going to talk about you being that, that catalyst, that, that one person in their life that will eventually get to the point in their life where you say, come and see. You might say, well, what if they got questions that I can't answer? Listen, 99% of the questions they have there are answers for. What if they're tough science questions? There are answers for them. What if there's philosophical? There's answers for them. 99% and it's not answers they're looking for. It's a friend they're looking for. It's somebody who cares about them they're looking for. That's what they want. Pray for one. That's going to be our theme. You're going to hear more about it, but I don't think you should wait till 2022. I think you should start praying today, God, who's going to be my one? And if you, you're successful with that one, guess what? Get another one. Pray for one. What if everybody in this church, all campuses, what if everybody not only prayed for one, but was able to reach one? Wow, there wouldn't be any empty seats in here then, would there? I promise you there's one out there. There's one out there. There's a whole lot of ones out there. Someone said that evangelism is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's what it is. It's just your story. It's just your story. You can say come and see if they have questions you can't answer you can say come and see my small group leader come and see my pastor come and see this apologetics group leader come and see this person he knows that answer come and see but come and see pray for one that's going to be our mission for 2022 and it's not a bragamony it's a testimony it's focused on jesus notice this jesus invites me i invite someone else and then Someone else invites someone else. Last week, we saw where the woman at the well was invited into a personal relationship with Jesus, and then she went and told some folks in her town, and then they turned around investigated and then told everybody else in their town. That's the power of an invitation. In Acts chapter 8, we read that persecution broke out in the church at Jerusalem. Remember, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people came. They're really uh, thriving. It's a thriving church. Not all the people who responded were part of Jerusalem church, but a lot of them were. Some people say the Jerusalem church was the first mega church. It was thousands of people. By Acts chapter 8, it was really booming. It was the center of Christianity. It was the center, and the devil knows where to attack he knows to hit you in your marriage where it hurts the most. He knows where to hit you with your family. He knows where to hit you in your mind and in your, in, in, in your thought life. He knows. And so you know where the devil hit? He hit the church at Jerusalem. The Bible says a man by the name of Saul, who would later become Paul, was really leading the charge. And I think that's why God said, uh-uh, you're not going to do this. I'm going to turn you around. You're going for me. And the Bible says that all of them were scattered except for the apostles who, I guess, hunkered down. Peter, James, and John, they hunkered down, maybe some other apostles for the time being. But the Bible says those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. They didn't shut up. They stood up. They spoke out with the gospel. And you know what happened next after Acts chapter 8? The Christianity exploded. It exploded. According to church historical some legend, some history. We don't know everything that's true, but this story has been passed down to us, Peter and Andrew, remember Andrew came first and he invited Peter. Peter and Andrew developed an evangelistic team. The two of them went out preaching the gospel because that's what Jesus said to do, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them, baptizing them. And so that's what they did. And legend tells us that Peter and Andrew went to Northern Europe. They Went to Northern Europe, quite a journey, would have been East for them quite a journey east, northern Germany, along the Black Sea, Greece, Bulgaria. And they converted some people along the Black Sea known as the Anglos and the Saxons. These were two different groups of people. Most of us are descended from the Anglo-Saxon tribes, most of us. And these people lived along the Black Sea over the next three, 400 years, The Anglo-Saxons, because of bad times in their area, got on their longboats and sailed over to what we know as Great Britain today. And guess what they took with them? They settled that area by 450. They took their faith with them. They took Christianity with them. They took their Bibles, what they had. And that was 449. Fast forward another 1,000 years. And guess who came from Great Britain to America, what would later be called America? The pilgrims. The pilgrims came. They were Anglo Saxons, pilgrims from Great Britain who had come from the Black Sea, who were converted by Peter and Andrew. And guess what the pilgrims brought with them? Thanksgiving turkeys. But they also brought their faith, they brought their Bibles. They brought Christianity, and here we are today, living in the wake of their legacy. It's the power of an invitation. Don't overlook it. It can change your life. It can change the life of your family and friends. It can change an entire nation. I think it's time for the church to stop worrying about what we're doing so much and worry, not worry, but focus on what we're doing, not in here, but out there. We're going to pray for one. You'll be surprised at who will say yes to your invite, come and see. You know, Christmas season is coming up, and people are very, they're in love with the traditions of Christmas, and who knows, they might come to a Christmas service, a Christmas event, and that might be the life changer for them. That might be the the moment their crisis relaxes a little bit, and they say, maybe I should investigate this a little bit more. Come and see. Come and see. Simple invitation. See if you can work it into your conversation this week with someone who needs the Lord. Let's stand and let me pray. Stand first, then I'll pray. Lord, thank you so much for this invitation, the great invitation to the wedding supper of the Lamb. I pray, God, that we would say yes, that we would say yes, and we would take the invitation and share it with others and they would say yes. People we care about, people we love. God, thank you for inviting us. We live in this age, in this time where we can say yes to the gospel freely. Perhaps it won't be like that in another 50 years. It hasn't been like that always in this place, but God, thank you that right now we can say yes and we can share this gospel freely. And, Lord, help us to do it with fervor and passion, willing to give our lives for it. Before that privilege is taken away from us, Lord, help us to be faithful, to say to the world, come and see. To say to that one that you put in our life, come and see. That's my prayer today, Lord, in Jesus' name.